0: Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that, but don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey
1: everyone, it's a new week of Cinematics. This is... I was thinking Cinematics episode 219. We have a lot of movies. I just told Bruce before before we started recording, we're going to kick the can... On it's what 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 are we kicking the can on Bruce? What, what did I just tell you that I made this decision?
0: It's in the heat of the night because he just doesn't want to deal with such a tough subject or subject matter in this suit, this episode. So he's like, this this we can't talk about
1: this. Well, my excuse is what's in the box will be back for next week. We're, we're going to have that the, <laughs> the mellifluous music stylings of Peter Beta and crew next week, but we're, we're covering a lot of movies this week. So what's in the box will be next week. That'll give me and possibly Eric. Eric, have you ever seen in the heat of the night?
2: Yes, and I watched it again this week. Uh, oh my gosh, I feel like up.
1: such a jerk. You know what? Should, maybe we should just keep it. it. Would you forget is, it next week if, if we don't recover about it? we just see no, where
2: we're at? Wait, wait what you um, uh, I believe there's a sequel to this and I did not watch that, so that'll give me time to watch the sequel and kind of uh, throw that into the mix as well. So, um, I want to throw
1: something into the mix as well. A publicist we all know and love. I'm not going to mention that person's name. Bruce Berkey, what is that movie that you wanted, American Fiction? Yeah. No screen or links available. See got ah. it down. No. Oh, yeah. And the, the zone of interest is disinterested in Bruce Perky and Eric Home. <laughs> you guys are not going to get okay. But I got the link. You know why. Do you guys know why I get why I get these links? Eric, why don't you start? Why 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 do I get these links? Hmm? Uh because you're four star Greg. They know you're gonna give it four stars at least. Bruce, I think the right I'm an authority in this in cinema is that why I get all the stuff oh yeah that
2: that's it is that it is that
1: that sounded <laughs> that sounded as disingenuous as me on a weekly basis Bruce you want to add anything to that no
0: I mean you're you're, you're just a luminary who's been interviewing okay. famous people for all years right. now and such a name in the in the industry that they have to give you links I mean whether even if they don't want to they have to give them to you I'm not a luminary I'm a lunamary. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really
1: thank you guys so much for those really horrible I don't know why I'm getting these links okay so anyways Bruce and Eric should be getting these links that's not neither here nor there american fiction comes out next week the zone of interest i'm sure eventually we'll get to it down the road i think i think especially bruce is excited to go see the zone of interest i don't know, know if it's going to be playing in your parts and it might be hard because around christmas time bruce hard for you got to, to get out like 30 minutes out of the way out of your whole thing to go yeah, just and you, to-
0: usually if they're those kind of movies they might play at one theater and it's usually about 45 minutes away each way or longer so yeah, it. Man, and, o- I
2: and only plays at noon
0: yeah something like that yeah it'll play like one showing and it'll be here for a week and gone so yeah
1: and eric i never asked for you it's only maybe a 30 minute drive or maybe even a 15 minute drive for stuff that you want to see for example if the zone of interest or american fiction can they come out next week most likely will they be playing in your neck of the woods or it's very easy to drive to get there
2: it's hit and miss. There's one theater here in Colorado Springs, uh called Tinsel Town. It's like uh it's uh uh I, I think it's a cinemark theater, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But uh sometimes they play uh indie movies. That that's usually the play like if they are gonna play an indie movie, that's the place that'll do it. Otherwise, I will have to go to one of the Alamo draft houses up in Denver. Mm-hmm. And I don't always get a chance to go up there, but it's sometimes... about an hour drive, right? Maybe an hour drive from where you are. Uh, about forty-five minutes oh, depends okay. on okay. depends on the traffic. Sometimes, if you uh, speed and uh, there's no traffic, you can get there in a half hour. But usually, forty-five minutes is a, a good uh, time to go for. It.
1: So, what happens if you're Bruce Perky and you have to drive uh, an hour to go see the zone of interest, or maybe Eric Holmes doesn't get out to Denver hour drive? He's busy during the week. I understand. Or you're someone like me who doesn't leave the house. What 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 are you going to do? What well, what hopefully you can do is well, maybe the best advice is make some money, put some gas, make some time to see these movies. But if you can't and you're like me and you're shut in and you don't want to spend all that gas money, we might have some good movies this week. We'll leave the judgment up to Eric and Bruce. Features for this episode include The Sacrifice Game, movie that's streaming on Shutter Friday, December 8th, Lord of Misrule, a horror thriller that me and Eric are going to review. Everyone Will Burn. I say that to all our cinematics Facebook Facebook group members at night when I get tired of all their movie recommendations, I hate our group, Bruce. That's why I never. Do you think? What do you think of the group? Cinema, Cinematic Facebook group. Do you hate them? Do you love them,
0: Eric? Bruce, they're wonderful, wonderful people. And and in fact, right now there's a there's a gift exchange going on. Come on now, how can you hate them so much?
2: <laughs> I just people. want to say I do not condone them burning. <laughs> okay. I, I'm putting
1: my foot down about that no burning but who knows everyone will burn is not a command that I'm thinking in my head it's an actual movie that Bruce and Eric have seen let's see if they recommend this film which comes out on digital platforms December 5th actually as we're recording it's out right now finally Bruce and I will be reviewing leave the world behind the latest Julia Roberts Marshala Ali film which is should be interesting comes out December 8th it's already been out in select theaters probably in the big market since like late late November. So you guys might have an idea of what leave the world behind, but most of you is about, but most of you will be able to see it when it hits Netflix Friday, December 8th. And we might get to into in the heat of the night as Bruce alluded to. Who knows? Let's play it by ear. Let's see if I'm, I'm going to be in time to feed the dog that I'm dog sitting right now within the span of 45 minutes. So let's see if we can do it. Eric Holmes. And Eric Holmes, here's the warning. Can you warn the listeners about something that's going on with you right now?
2: Uh, yes, uh, the uh, dog seemed to make his way outside and he's barking to get back in. So I got to go let him in real quick. Okay, go let, the be right back. okay go let the dog in, Eric. Right, okay, me. he will be right back. I don't know who let the dogs out, Wolf Wolf, but I'm about to
1: fix <laughs> okay, that right good. now. Okay, good. I'm glad Eric did not do the copyright sort of uh, tune with the, who let the dogs out because I w- would have had to edit that, Bruce. But the second warning regarding Eric Holmes is his Wi-Fi is a bit spotty. He may actually cut out of this episode, not just to let the dogs in, but his Wi-Fi may be out. So we'll see. It might just be the me and Bruce show. We'll see. One second. Eric is putting on his headphones. Eric, you can hear us right now. You just let the dogs in, and I just warned everybody- You might leave the show a little bit early, not because you're in poor health, but because of your your Wi-Fi signals. Not very good today, right,
2: Eric? Yeah, it seems to be working now, but it was sketchy earlier, so we'll we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll stick around for the whole thing. Maybe Wi-Fi, I'll be like, nope, Eric, you're done, out of here, so we'll see what happens. But it it seems to be working fine now, so we'll see what happens. Bruce and Eric, you want to say anything before we launch into the features
1: about anything? Anything the world of Uh, Bruce Berkey or Eric Holmes? Anything off the top of your head?
2: Yes. Okay. Um, I want to hear it. I've not seen leave the world behind, but I did see the sacrifice game Lord of misrule and everyone will burn. And we have kind of a, uh, <laughs> a volcano Dante's peak situation with these movies or a, uh, deep impact Armageddon kind of situation. Cause the three of these movies have a lot in common and they're like similar versions, similar stories, but like wildly different versions of that story. So that will be fun to get into.
1: It'll be a volcanic episode. And after you're done with this episode, please listen to Eric's interview for, with, with the Lord of Misrule director, William Brent Bell. I'm going to add this to the episode as well because Eric and I will be doing a review of Lord of Misrule and then listen after the show for his interview with William Brent Bell. Now let's get to the featured interviews, not featured interviews, featured reviews the Sacrifice Game streaming on Shudder December 8th. It centers on a couple of girls. They're at a Catholic girls boarding school. It's The holidays, all the girls are leaving, all the instructors are leaving, except one teacher. Sounds like the holdovers, right? Except one teacher.
2: <laughs> it does. Right? It does.
1: Okay. And, and you're going to hold over your review next week for Air Combs. Air Combs, next week, you're going to talk about the holdovers. Okay. Because, yeah. I'm,
2: I'm I mean, kidding. if I talked about it this week, that'd be four movies that have something in common. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, two girls are left
1: in the Catholic all girls boarding school with a teacher. And the teacher's boyfriend or it's never established if he's an employee in the uh, anyways, several people are left in that boarding school. Unfortunately, there are several killers on the loose, some they're probably in their early to mid 20s, maybe about I think there's four of them. And the movie starts with them actually attacking a suburban couple and killing them. Pretty flashy sequence and violent sequence right off the top. You know, there's going to be bloodletting and gore. I don't know how much gore is in this movie. I'm going to let Bruce and Eric talk about, but that's the sacrifice game. Eventually these killers end up at the boarding school with these assumedly scared, innocent individuals. And let's see what happens when these two people mix. There's going to be a lot of bloodshed and killing in the sacrifice game. The most important thing, does the sacrifice game work as a movie? Bruce, let's start with you.
0: Uh, Overall, I would say, yes, it does work as a movie. Um, Kind of the vibe you're getting, I think it's supposed to take place in 1971. That's one thing to kind of get the vibe of how this is going. And like you said, the opening, I think it's a pre title sequence, is these four kind of hippie types, very, very Manson esque. You know, they come in and they invade a house and kill a couple that are just hanging out in their house and it's, it's shot really cool. Like it's shot all from outside the house. So you, the, the the camera kind of goes around the house and so you're looking in the windows as the attack and murders are occurring. Uh, and then, like you said, the rest of the m- movie is pretty much at this boarding school, boarded up shining esque, you know, for the, for the winter break. And um, what this movie is, is kind of a split movie. And I won't talk about exactly what the second half or third act of the movie is, because that's, I think supposed to be somewhat of a surprise, but it plays out like it's going to be a a version of a home invasion sort of movie, right? You get these movies like uh, uh, The Strangers and those kind of movies where you have innocent, normal, everyday people. Their safe space gets invaded by people who are out to be sadistic and, and do them harm. And those people that invade are always the same type too. And I was kind of noticing that as I was watching this. It's like they always have this thing where it's like, they want a toy with them and they're kind of sarcastic. And uh, sometimes it is very, uh, or, or funny games would be another example, right? But sometimes it's very dread inducing. Sometimes it's a little more of just a thrill ride. I think this leans more towards the thrill ride. And I was a little, I was half and half on the acting of the the sinister group. Because a little bit of it was, it was slightly overplayed for me, but also the tone was kind of working with that as well because the tone was for a movie that could be really hardcore and really like disturbing you know once again funny games this movie has a little bit lighter a little more playful genre touch to it somewhat somewhat it's still violent and it's still it's it's for horror fans it's not really for average moviegoer type person uh, i would say that the tone shifts in it Kind of worked for me and kind of didn't work for me. Overall, I think I'm I'm on the positive side on this one, though.
1: Look, Bruce, your review, I'm so glad that you said this. There is a tone shift in this movie that I read a freaking review at a very reputable publication, and they basically say what that spoiler is. And you know, on one hand, you can actually talk about the spoiler, and I'm sure a lot of reviews will discuss what what do the killers what are the real intent of the killers or the innocent people what's the motivations that could be part of the plot but my opinion you're not going to enjoy the sacrifice game if if you know what that is and i can't believe the review i read i understand why it could be the fabric of that plot but i'm so glad that you didn't mention that okay so anyways yeah 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 eric your your review of the sacrifice game what did you think
2: so at the end of the sacrifice game, it was really cool. <laughs> now, um, actually, this is kind of tough because uh, I kind of get the review because a lot of what I really loved about this was kind of what happened in the second half. But uh, even in the first half, I kind of like the uh a little bit House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, a little bit the the Fireflies in there. Um, there's a little bit of that going on you know when they get to the uh the school and then start you know continuing on their thing there that's kind of where that's kind of where it takes a turn and uh uh shoot, I'd, I'd really like to do a spoiler on this but uh without getting into that i would just say i like where it goes and it does a thing in this movie as does uh, everyone will burn and Lord of Misrule that does a thing that really bugs the hell out of me that I think they handled really well in this that I have not seen in movies kind of like this. Oh, okay, and you can't really mention it because that would be spoiler discussions.
0: It would be. Is it? Let me guess without and without spoiling it, but is it a certain kind of character that shows up a lot in these kind of movies, but that they deal with it in a different sort of way than they usually do?
1: I believe so. Yes. No? Okay. Very, very cool. Here's the thing. My thoughts on The Sacrifice Game. There's an actress. Her name is Georgia Akin or Akin. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. She plays one of the schoolgirls, very meek, timid schoolgirl, Clara or Clara, however you pronounce her name. She is one of the main girls. The other girl is also meek and timid. And that is Samantha played by Madison Baines. So Samantha and Clara are the main girls who are left in that boarding school. I think Madison Baines does a good performance Solid. Would like to see more stuff. I have a feeling Georgia Atkin as Clara. She's she's going places. I, I have a feeling this could be the start of something because I was really glued to her character and what her arc was throughout the fabric of the narrative. And to Bruce's point, the killers in the movie. I just wish they they stood out a little bit more. They they didn't really the first the first, uh, the first like, maybe two acts didn't stand out for me that much. But this is what Eric likes to say in some of his reviews. The third act is so fantastic for me. I really love the third act, and I think it just bumps up everything. It Like, Eric, you like to say, lifts all boats. It lifted yep. this movie. And with George's performance and Madison's performance, I really ended up enjoying the sacrifice game, even though the slow burn parts of the first and, act, first and second act, well, kind of sort of dragged for me. I was just waiting for something to happen. And when that something did happen, like, Eric, I just love that third act. Yes, Eric?
2: I, I would say that, well, first of all, I love Georgia's character because uh, she reminded me a lot of my niece, May. <laughs> so, okay. so the whole time I'm watching her, I'm not lo- looking at Georgia acting. I'm looking at my niece saying, "Wow, May, you're really good in this. Oh, wait, that's not her. Uh, and I love her and Madison's kind of chemistry yes. as well as the, uh, like you kind of uh, uh, knocked on the, uh, the killers. But I kind of like their dynamic as well, because I think yeah. what they set up early on pays off a lot. Uh, in the third act there's like there's like little things that they set up that when they get to the third act i I think it finally pays off okay well let's
1: see what does this pay off do we really enjoy the sacrifice game which is directed by jen wexler she also co-wrote this bruce what is your rating or final thoughts on the sacrifice game
0: um well i'm gonna say three and a half i think it's pretty solid pretty pretty entertaining overall and like like we have all alluded to I think it takes some turns that a movie like this doesn't always take, which I definitely really appreciated that part of it. Um, One thing I would point out, um, people hated uh, (laughs) It's a Wonderful Knife, and we kind of liked it. So maybe I'm not good at reviewing uh, holiday horror movies. So keep telling me, people, if I'm wrong. But yeah, I'd say three and a half on this one. Yeah, I I really enjoy this. I, I think I'm sort of
1: where you are, Bruce. But then again, that third act just really put everything into perspective for me, I wouldn't mind watching this movie again because I feel like as I love it so much I could really stomach the first two acts the second time around to see how, these, how all this stuff plays out. So for me,
2: four stars. Four stars for the sacrifice game. What about you, Eric? I'm higher than both of you. Um, this one's currently four and a half. Uh, this oh. could get this could this i'll give it four and a half with room to grow this could be a five star for me if yeah after watching it a couple of times because there's just there's just certain things that they do in this movie that they do in other movies that really bug me that they kind of knocked out of the park for me and so i i enjoyed this quite a bit
1: that is a very strong recommend from eric holmes a sacrifice game four and a half from him Bruce Berkey, mild recommend. No, no, not a mild. That's a solid recommend. Three yeah, and a half, it's right? So, yeah. It's
0: pretty solid. I had a good time watching it. And you're not, this is not like a, a long, you know, artsy movie. This is like a meat and potatoes, you know, horror movie. So
1: yes, there is bloodletting. So again, like Bruce said, <laughs> if you're looking for some kind of, I know what you did last summer, something like, something that I, you can, it's palatable. There are things that are not very palatable in this movie. So three and, a half from Eric, three and a half from Bruce, four and a half from Eric, four from me, Sacrifice Game, streaming on Shudder, December 8th. Now let's get to another movie called Lord of Misrule. It's in theaters on demand, December 8th. Trink- Eric, we saw this movie, what, two and a half weeks ago? Does this movie still stick with you? It kind of still does stick with me in a sense, but it's based on tradition, it seems. There's sort of a folk horror element to it and... How did this movie a couple weeks later? Does it still revolve around your brain as far as what this movie is about?
2: So, uh, this is another movie I can't talk too much about because spoilers and whatnot. I can tell you that uh, it's directed by William Brent Bell, who did uh, Orphan First Kill, which I was not a fan of. Um, mostly because of the, uh, the, you know, the child character being creepy and all that, uh, doesn't really, doesn't really do it for me, but this one does a lot. I really like the, uh, the tone and the atmosphere in this. I liked the, uh, kind of like early on when they're at that, uh, what do you call it? That festival thing that they're at Mm -hmm. and, and hanging out there. There's, uh, parts later on in the movie where there's, uh, sort of cults getting together, like anytime you get a bunch in this movie, when they get a bunch of people together, I kind of want to be there even in certain areas where it's like, that would be very dangerous to be at, but I kind of want to, I kind of want to hang out and live in that area, which is weird to say. Well,
1: let's give it a little bit of context. You were alluding to it, Eric. It centers on a priest played by Tuppence Middleton. She is the town priest. She's Catholic, right? So she's leading a congregation within the small town. Do you think at the beginning, she has commanded this t- small time since she, is, she and the church are the spiritual center of this environment, so to speak, who knows? But she, unfortunately, during like this aforementioned festival, her daughter goes missing and, and she's trying to find what happened to her daughter. And unfortunately, her husband's a little bit of an idiot and he's trying to go along with the flow and he's not really being proactive. She's the only one being proactive. And as she's trying to investigate her daughter's disappearance, she starts to suspect the townsfolk, the townspeople. They have their own baked-in history of how the town came to be, the their relationship with maybe a supernatural element possibly. And then that, that's commingled with her Catholic faith. And she's come, trying to come to grips a little bit with her faith, but mainly she's focused on finding her daughter. What will this woman, this priest, do to actually get her daughter back if her daughter is still alive that is a premise of lord of misrule directed by william brent bell again the interview eric's interview with bell will be available at the end of this episode yes eric so some more thoughts I, on lord of misrule i would also
2: uh point out um not really a spoiler i don't think but uh ralph Ineson is in this movie and you oh. get to see him naked so if that's something you're into which yes why wouldn't you be yeah ralph you about from the witch. But, uh, yes, very good. Very good. Yeah, the, uh I I think one of the things that uh that I really enjoyed about this movie is kind of the uh, religious mob, that whole aspect of it just had sure. like a, a lot of uh a lot of creepiness to it and kind of uh kind of set this movie out for me and yeah, I, I was and I don't know if maybe uh perhaps my uh expectations were low because uh what I thought of Orphan First Kill, but uh as far as I can tell, William Brent Bell just nailed it with this one. Um it reminds me of I mentioned playing Blood on the Clock Tower. There's uh a, there's a demon called Legion where everyone's the bad guy except for like a few, you know, a few people, and it gave me those kind of vibes, and I really enjoy this a lot. This is a horror film, okay
1: it's oh yeah definitely it's only 80 minutes and we were talking about bloodletting i don't know i'm so fixated on this but the sacrifice game has a lot of violence so it's tough to take if you can't take the violent stuff lord of misrule is more of psychological horror there's Mm -hmm. some yeah so if you're worried about any kind of gore that kind of stuff the scares are actually within the mental element of there are there are things that happen violently but it's it won't Turn your stomach like the sacrifice game does. Yes, Eric.
2: There's a bit at the end which gets kind of dream logic a little bit. I, I don't know if yes. that's the right way. Sure. Yeah. I, I I think you know the scene I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love that scene. This movie absolutely def- loved it.
1: You know what, Eric? This movie, you you and Bruce are more expert in this genre than I am, but I think this horror film could have gone a very predictable path. But within the final 10 to 15 minutes, it goes a different kind of direction. And I love the ending of the movie which I talked, I talked to Wayne Brent Bell in my interview with him about the ending of this. So Patreon members, you'll be treated to Brent Bell's interpretation of the end of the movie, which was completely different from mine. So Eric, I had a completely different read. So we're going to... And Bruce, I, I don't know. Bruce, you don't have the time. The reason why I said do not see Lord of Miserable is there's so many movies you had to see, Bruce. But I think, Eric, do you agree that this is a movie, even if Bruce doesn't Give it a pass or recommends it. It's something he should watch, don't you agree with that? As far as the genre and what he's passionate about,
2: I think so. But I was so off the mark as far as like, uh, Br- well, Bruce might like it or not like. It. I'm not sure. But like with, uh, I was so off the mark with uh, Orphan First Kill because I didn't like that, but a lot of people loved it. Sure. And so uh, yeah. this is one, this is a movie that I liked a lot. So maybe someone that liked Orphan First Kill, maybe they'll watch this and go, Eric, what are you talking about? This one. So I have no idea. I All I can tell you is I watched Lord of I'm like, I want to watch that again.
1: I think if I recall, Bruce, you had the same review of Orphan First Kill as Eric did. I did were you a fan no, of Orphan I,
0: First Kill? I, I kind of liked it. I liked, liked it. it. It was a mild like. I, I liked it when it got very. Campy, yeah. Yes, very campy in the last (laughs) act. I loved it. And I was like, it should have gone hard on that like all the way through.
1: Yeah. Well, I think I liked Orphan First Kill more than all of you. I'm glad, Bruce, you, you corrected me and said you actually recommend that film, especially during those campy moments. My only warning is Lord of Misrule isn't campy and it is not operatic. But the third act is a very thinking person's act too. There's some really cool stuff that happens regarding a location and Eric... That mentioned Dream Logic situation really well executed and hopefully down the line maybe Bruce will see Lord of Misrule when he doesn't have to watch, he and Eric don't don't have to watch twenty movies per week. Lord of Misrule in theaters on demand December eighth. I'm giving it a solid four stars. I I just really love this movie. I'm it's it's a rewatchable film for me, especially the third act.
2: Eric. Yeah, I'm gonna give this a Greg special as well at four stars. Um, <laughs> and, and again, I don't, I don't know if it was uh, uh, like lowered expectations, but this movie really, I, it, it, it southpawed me. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did, and I really like this a lot. Now, here's a
1: movie. The next movie is Everyone Will Burn. I had one. I saw this in my emails, and I said the poster is amazing. This looks like uh, what is it? Is it a What country is it? It's a Mexican horror? or Spain? Spain. Spanish. Spain, yeah. Set in Spain. Subtitled horror that looks really interesting. This is a a Bruce film. That's the reason why I wanted to get you into it. And this is also an Eric film. So with that said, Bruce, I'm going to let you take it away. Everyone Will Burn, directed by David Hebrero and Mm -hmm. co-written by David Hebrero. And it looks awesome. I feel like... I missed out on this movie. Did I miss out on Everyone Will Burn? Uh,
0: maybe. I, I think you would enjoy it. Um, I'm very curious to hear what Eric thinks of this movie as well. Um, there's some things I, I really love about this movie. There's some other things that were, I didn't love as much, but were pretty good. Um, I think, first of all, the pre-title sequence is is pretty strong. Um, and I think it's okay to, to give that away. Would you agree, Eric? I mean, we can kind of give away the Yeah.
2: Basic Cause characters. I mean, that's, that's,
0: Sort of what sets it off. Like if you can't talk
2: about it, you can't talk about the movie at
0: all. I think the trailer even kind of shows it, but basically you just, it starts out with a woman, uh, Maria, uh, wait. Yeah. Maria. And she's standing on the edge of a bridge ready to obviously kill herself. And from behind her, this, this, young woman, young girl who comes up behind her and it's like, she seems to be covered in blood or maybe mud mud. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she's just standing there and she has the, almost the classic spooky, spooky girl look, you know, she's standing there, she's glaring, you know, like she's going to start fires or <laughs> break up the prom at Carrie's high school or something, you know? And <laughs> she, I think she, the first thing she says is mama. To the woman on the bridge and the woman comes down. I'm not your mama. And, and very quickly, the woman was going to kill herself, you know, scoops up the little girl into her car is driving along the cops, pull him over. And she says, you know, I, am just taking her. And, and the girl calls her mama and she says, I'm not your mama. And, he, and then the guy's like, wait, what, this isn't your daughter. And they like, get out of the car, all this kind of stuff. Right. Immediately it starts to escalate almost a Coen brothers kind of moment. Right. And they get out of the car and before you know it, the little girl's doing her thing, staring at the guy. <laughs> one cop gets stabbed in the neck. The other one catches on fire. And the <laughs> you see that on the poster. And the titles come up. And you're like, wow, that's one of the better titles since uh, the Evil Dead Rise. That's pretty pretty great. Now, <laughs> wow. that, that that isn't the tone of the whole movie, but mm-hmm. it definitely gives you uh, some of the flavor. Because the weird thing about this movie for me, and that is... This is, to me, this is best described as a feverish, demonic, Spanish soap opera. Cause there's a lot of soap operatic elements to this. The basic thing in this movie is that there is this small town, narrow-minded community. You get in these, in these kind of stories sometimes where everyone's, you know, sniping and gossiping and all this kind of stuff. And Maria has been the focus of a lot of this for various reasons that you find out throughout the story. So to have this essentially demonic kid, apparently with her, helping her out, just creates a whole new dynamic for her and her life and for everyone else in the village. And I'm going to leave it at that. There's a whole bunch of lore that gets involved as well. Bunch of characters come in and out. It's definitely kind of a long movie. I think it's like two hours and eight, nine minutes, something like that. For me, I would have trimmed it down, but I think the the kind of interneighbor, uh, kind of like I said, soap, soap opera ish elements, melodramatic elements. If you like that, and I think they were going for that, then I think you won't mind the length. For me, I would like, I would go more for a leaner version of this, but uh, overall, I enjoyed it. It was definitely a little uneven as far as the tone goes,
2: though. Eric, what about you? I like this one a lot. The actor that played uh, Lucia, Sofia Garcia. I don't know if she's a little person in real life. Uh, she looks like it in the movie or if that's a special effect. I I, I believe this is I, Sofia Garcia's first movie, so I have no idea. I think she go. is. I think because that's a key plot element and, it,
0: yeah. and it, it it also is important to the character of Maria. So
2: I think she is. I think yeah. She is. And um, without does Sophia garcia have two roles in this i don't think so there's uh there, <laughs> all right although uh, yeah we'll we'll not talk about that I, maybe, but uh the, this one's kind of wasn't paying a, attention but, maybe she did i don't know the, there's uh you know this is kind of like the uh like uh lucia would be the the creepy kid in this one yeah but it's it's kind of like uh my daughter the demon <laughs> Yes. It, it, it does that it's that kind of movie but it takes it from a different perspective because it's not uh who it's just this creepy kid that's doing the, these things it's uh you get to see it from the point of view of i guess what would normally be the antagonist in this kind of movie so you get a you get a whole different perspective of what this kind of movie would be and then uh maria jose played by macarena gomez she's great in this and you get to see her kind of uh you know she's kind of you know, the victim in a lot of it. But then when things start going, going south, like the town, like the whole, the whole time, the town just hates her and treats her like crap the entire time. So then when she gets this, uh, when Lucia becomes part of her life and they're like, Hey, you're going to help us in town. She's like, pick rocks. (laughs) Screw you guys. Why, why would I do that? And so it's kind of, uh, it's kind of neat watching a movie from the perspective of a would be antagonist maybe antagonist maybe not uh much like the sacrifice game and much like lord of misrule i love the ending on this especially the sacrifice game because the sacrifice game had kind of an ending where it's kind of it's it's not like a big showy ending but it's like a really emotional one and i think this one has kind of a similar similar ending where it's not big and showy but it's kind of like uh Kind of like they, you know, pumped the brakes a little bit and, you know, just kind of made the ending what I think it should have been. Yeah, it was and good it, stuff.
0: It has a mid-credit sequence too. Did you watch that?
2: The mid credits se- Oh, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I'll have to go back and check that uh,
0: yeah. out. I'll just say there's a mid-credit sequence that um, firmly sets it up for a continuing story. And I won't say what happens in that, but I think it's uh, two, let's see, uh, two children meet each other. Let's just say that. Okay. Um, I don't know if you. I could
2: okay, I could kind of see where that would go. I didn't see it, but i I could see where that would go. But uh, I yeah, yes. Yeah. And this has all, like uh some like the filmmaking of this, like the, the way it's shot and blocked and all that. It definitely has like Jalo vibes, like you know the the new Jalo kind of vibes, where it's yes. like who, who's really the guy like that
0: does hard reds and stuff in there too. Yeah,
2: like they uh, who's the guy that does the uh the. Dogs don't wear pants. Oh, boy. He was a
0: Swedish or Nordic guy. But I was thinking of um, also a little bit of Pedro Almodovar as well. Like kind of this overheated... The character of Maria, (laughs) the mom, is like verging off the rails this whole movie. And I think I really, really loved how unhinged her character was a lot of times. It was almost like this, almost like you have this unhinged character that's been picked on for years and she she gets a daughter that can finally give her more power. <laughs> like she only has <laughs> power now. It's 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 a really odd movie in that way. And I, I kind of really loved that. Um, like I said, I just, I wish it was a little tighter, but as it
2: sits with me, I think I'll like it more too. I would also kind of uh, compare this a lot to like uh, Lose the Flower Beeble. Mm, yeah. Because uh, it, ha- it has some kind of shades of Juan Diego Escarabella's on this. Where it's like uh really like really bright colored, but and really pretty to look at. But like all the stuff that's happening is like really horrible to watch. So kind of uh, oh, this is a nice scene. Ooh, no, maybe not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. So that is everyone will burn theaters December 1st. So it's already in theaters, and it hits most importantly, digital platforms starting December 5th. So it's already out on digital and on demand. Eric, your rating on everyone will burn. I will
2: probably give this uh four four and a half we'll go Four and a half. Four and a half yeah yeah cones, we'll go, for... uh, Yeah, that, this okay. one's that, this one's another uh, actually the sacrifice game lord of misrule and this one all have room to grow because I, I enjoyed all three of them and oh. i gotta say the three of these movies i think would make a great triple feature
1: okay wow it's very interesting bruce your rating on everyone will
0: burn I think I'll go four stars, and this I also this is the one I think that could grow for me, too, because, uh, yeah, it's, it's loosey-goosey, but kind of in a cool way, and, and it's kind of sitting with me, and I, I like it. Okay, now, do we like the next movie? It's, out of all
1: of the features, it has the most stars. It's streaming on Netflix. Thank you, Netflix, for providing me and Bruce Perky with a link for Leave the World Behind. It is directed by, I forgot how to pronounce his name, Sam Esmail, or Sam Esmail is the... Esmail is the creator of a show that I liked at least for the first two seasons. I've only seen the first two seasons of Mr. Robot, so he's the director and writer of Leave the World Behind. It's a post, possibly it's described as a post-apocalyptic thriller or something on Rotten Tomatoes, or, or it's been yeah, well acted apocalyptic thriller. So that's not too much of a spoiler because you're wondering you have all these people in this really beautiful house. A, some of these people are. It's sort of a staycation for of the weekend for this well-to-do couple played by Julie Roberts and. What, oh, why am I blanking? And Ethan Hawke. They're a loving couple. They bring their two kids. They're both of the, the kids are like early teens. They're, there's a there's a, the oldest. There's a son. The youngest is a daughter. The youngest daughter I think she's around twelve or thirteen. She's obsessed with friends. It's a running theme a really you know what if you think that's just gonna be a little minor thing it's a big thing her obsession to see the finale of friends plays a big part in leave the world behind because that's a big that's a big uh part of her character the youngest daughter and the youngest daughter and it's a little trope usually the youngest person in the clan is able to see things that a lot of the adults don't don't you're going to see that too? That's not a spoiler either. So there's a lot of tropes that are bandied about, and another big trope is Marshala Ali. He plays a guy who just seem a seeming stranger who actually goes into their house, knocks on their door, and he's with his presumed daughter, and he tells them, "Hey, this is my house. I was in the city wondering if we could spend the night over at my house. I know you guys are renting it for the weekend for me." But due to certain situations, me and my daughter need to spend the night. Can that happen? So within that framework, Julie Roberts' character does not trust these two people. And you think it might be some, is it going to be a a racial, racist undertone kind of movie that plays into it? Or is it just a general mistrust kind of movie? People not trusting people at the beginning of the movie. Julie Roberts' character, when they're in the city, she says, I think it starts off with, I just bleeping hate people. So that's another theme. But ultimately, you have these this, these this family unit, and they're trying to figure out what's going on around their environment. Is there something going on? Because the other day, they were at the beach. They saw a big freight line or a freight just crash onto the beach. And there's a lot of weird things. There's a lot of deer in the neighborhood for some reason. There's a lot of weird, quote-unquote, apocalyptic things that are happening in this beautiful almost mansion that they're hanging out in. Is it the end of the world? Did they leave the world behind? Is this a watchable movie? Bruce Berkey.
0: Yes, it is a watchable movie. I was surprised by actually how watchable it was. Uh, it is a pretty long movie. It's like two hours and 20 minutes, but I'd, it went by pretty breezy for me. Although there's a couple a couple scenes I could say you could trim a little bit. There's a scene where Mahershala and uh, Julia Roberts are dancing and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need this for five minutes, but it, it was fine. This is a... Uh, once again, to go back to Anderson, something goes down smooth. This is one of those kind of movies. This is what you want from a Netflix movie. You know, you've got all the, you got the, the stars, you've got the, the budget, but it's interesting and fun and engaging story. This is, well, two things. First of all, it's another one in these ongoing B horror thriller sub-genre. That's become a thing in the last, I don't know, <laughs> 10 or two, 10 to five years. Probably more like five years. We've had quite a few of these lately. Also, this definitely feels like if this could be made by M Night Shyamalan, and this is or this is a property that M Night Shyamalan could have been attached to. It 100%. has its own. It has its own style for sure. And I'd like to mention the style a little bit here. There's some really great swooping camera shots. Almost. Argento-ish kind of things there's a lot of shots where you'll go like outside of the house and around the house and follow a character through the house and then like seamlessly obviously with digital effects somewhat go into the house through the window there's a few of those shots and they're a little showy but they're also kind of fun because they give you this the setting and the the mood of what's going on in that particular scene and I will say it's used at the end there's an end-ish shot not the ending shot but close to the ending shot where they go from someplace low up into the sky above the tree line and then back down. That is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but overall what I liked about this movie, what surprised me about this movie is it sets itself up and you know, what's going to be apocalyptic or a thriller or a home invasion, it's something right. You know, you got the, the classic suburban upper middle-class upper-class family, white family going to the beach to this palatial, bed and breakfast i mean this is like such a mansion and then <laughs> yeah. and then you have you're like i think oh this is going to be them and basically having to deal with possibly the end of the world or something happening we don't know and they're going to have to just fight for their lives or hunker down or it's going to be a, a siege movie or something right and then you get the introduction of Herschel ali and i want to call out i want to call out Miala, i'm not saying her name right harold right playing his Ruth. daughter, yeah, Ruth. I think she's the unsung hero of this movie. She's uh, so good. She, she was in Bodies, 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 which I've just gone back to watch, which I might mention next week because I haven't finished it yet. I know that Eric watched it. And um, I, I made me go back to watch that because I was so impressed by her in this movie. And her role in this movie, I think, is kind of key because she's like this sardonic voice of like calling out the bull. Kind of a lot of times in this. Yeah. Joke, you have to bleep me again. No, oh, I'm so No, no worries. I yeah. got you. But I think the secret sauce to this movie is this you have that basic setup, like I said, like this, uh, you know, shyamalan kind of thing, like normal people, crazy events are starting to happen. What's going on? But the introduction, the social interaction of the <laughs> people who own the house <laughs> coming back to their house and the people who don't own the house still being in the house. And just how that plays out, I think, is really engaging. And there's a lot of fun and insightful stuff that goes on there. But overall, this is just straight-up entertainment. And I really quite enjoyed it.
1: Straight-up entertainment is correct, Bruce. This is movie, let's say, here's a prohibitive one, 140 minutes. And guess what? Yeah. It's worth every minute. You know why? Because it's like an M. Night film crossed in with a play in an enclosed space with really good actors, and then the M Night stuff or the uh, the B movie awesomeness. There are some moments. There are some really standout action thriller moments. There's a person in a car on a yep. road. There is that beach sequence. There, is, Kevin Bacon makes an appearance, and it's it's not a it's more than a cameo, but it is a really well done segment with Kevin Bacon. You mentioned the, the camera shot. Even the use of friends makes sense to me. So a lot of things I was expecting sort of a empty calories experience, 140 minute slog with leave the world behind, but I ended up with a very solid drama with some excellent action-y set pieces. I am scared I am now scared of deer, by the way. <laughs> I'm not scared yeah. of deer. My goodness. <laughs> so that's not giving
0: too much weight. the but. best use of deer crowds since The Ring 2, I guess I'll say.
2: <laughs> quick, so, quick question. With uh, Julia Roberts, and you mentioned Kevin Bacon, does yeah. uh, Kiefer Sutherland and Oliver Platt make an appearance <laughs> really in this too? to Excellent. do a Flatliners They're you? sleeping in the back. <laughs> like the... Yeah, we love that. they screen. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It, look,
1: everyone, Eric, everyone has their moments. Even, look, I feel bad because the son, their son yeah. is, a, <laughs> oh, look, look, okay. Their son we all love our family members but he's he's the one in the family who's a complete dick. Let's just face it. And but the thing is we're all family. And I mean, that actor has the really unthankful role of being sort of the a really big heel in the movie. And what he to do he
0: kind of gets it though. He kind of gets his part <laughs> of that. <laughs>
1: right, right, right. And we have to also mention Fair McKenzie as Rosie, the youngest one in the clan. She's the one obsessed by friends She's very good. And she also has a couple of her own moments to shine. This is a really well-written film. Like Bruce was saying, this is top-tier stuff. Netflix film. Really enjoyed it. I'm surprised. Solid four stars for me. The Greg special, as Eric was to <laughs> say, for Leave the World Behind. Four stars for me. Bruce, what about you? Um,
0: I would also only, I just want to mention the final moments of this movie are might seem a little abrupt to people. But if you think on it and sit on it a little bit, I and I ended up loving the final shots. I think it was yeah. actually chef's kiss perfect um i'm gonna four and a half on this i really like this movie quite a bit i'm kind of a sucker too for these apocalyptic during the apocalypse post-apocalyptic kind of movies um so i i i liked it quite a bit
1: i'm not giving too much away bruce do you like the apocalyptic theme of the movie being somewhat topical did you like the topical nature of what they were trying to say yeah, or is I think that it
0: worked because yeah. i think all of it was None of it was too heavy-handed, I don't think. I mean, it was there and it was toyed with a little bit. But it, it. <laughs> let's say these kind of movies would very easily fall into one side being evil and, you know, one side being the good guys. And I think there was a lot of gray area there, which is more true to life, I think. Even the character of Kevin Bacon, I'm not going to say what kind of character he is, but the kind of character he should be in a movie like this. Oh yeah. When he was when he was talking, he was reasonable. I thought he was reasonable with what he's saying and the way they, they treat him more in a rounded way than they would have to. I also would point out to Eric if he ever watches this movie, which is going to be on Netflix if this weekend if he's bored and the family wants to watch it or whatever. I'm done. Um, I predict that the character of Ethan Hawke's character will annoy the hell out of Eric just knowing how he hates indecisive <laughs> and wishy-washy characters
1: oh, oh there there is going to be yeah. one moment no no bruce yeah i know what you're talking about but there is going to be one specific moment a couple regarding regarding a window roll up and rolling up the window or rolling it down i, I think
0: the way he acts in multiple scenes is going to really annoy <laughs> eric but the good thing yeah. is he's not the main guy there's a whole bunch of characters so he He's he's okay being annoying there. I think you'll, you'll you won't mind him being annoying there because he's not the main focus, but right. you'll definitely bait his character I have a feeling. So, well, Eric, maybe next week along with
1: In the Heat of the Night, rewind this movie for for us if you can see it with the family this weekend I, on Netflix. I might
2: yeah. I might do it. Plus like I don't I don't watch a lot of Julia Roberts movies, but every time I do, I'm like I really like Julia Roberts. I should see more of her movies, but for some reason I just don't. You know what's she great plays about a this little movie? against
0: type, right? When you yeah,
1: say a little yeah, against type. 100% Bruce, she's
2: it's not a showy role for her
1: she's part of the ensemble which is completely the perfect way it's a really good story and i'm glad she picked it that's what i was thinking bruce right i mean it's not like this showy nomination kind of situation it's just a really well done
0: movie this is one of those movies that you don't get a ton of anymore where it's just like straight forward like we talk about entertainment this is the kind of movie where you just sit down this is also one of those like a whole family could watch it kind of movies it's not too gory it's, a, scary little for, scary. it's a little scary, it's a little <laughs> it's creepy, but it's not like intense, like it's super intense, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. think it is. I don't know. Well, I might are. have different standards.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is four and a half from Bruce Perky. Four for me for Leave the World Behind on Netflix, Friday, December 8th. We're going to close. We're going to do In the Heat of the Night next week, folks, because I have to take my, my it's dark out. There's coyotes outside my house. So I got to take the dog out. They're
2: waiting for Greg to come out inside. I'm so hungry, Greg. Yeah. Come on outside. I need to leave this
1: podcast behind and take my dog out for a little bit of number one and number two. Let's just didn't want to throw out the visual there, but so why don't we just do a quick?
2: Ooh, you're bringing an appetizer with
1: you. That's nice. Oh, That's very good. <laughs> I, yeah. Dr- you know, I got to I got to put that what drum hit, whatever rim shot recommends from Eric. Well, first of all, I didn't get to review this. Fast Charlie. It's on digital and on demand December 8th. I have an interview with Philip Noyce. It's going to be on the Find Your Film podcast. Noyce. That's Noyce. Noyce. Uh, yeah. Pierce Brosnan, he plays a, a fixer. He plays a fixer out in... Where is where is the location that he's out in? Not, not Louisiana. I forgot what where it's set in. Where is it? It's set somewhere in the south. It's a really well-done film. James Conn's last movie. And he's a fixer who works for a boss, played by James Conn. And unfortunately, his latest mission to fix, which is to actually assist a hitman to execute his hit on a mark, that goes awry. And ultimately, Fast Charlie, again, played by Pierce Brosnan, sees his organization being actually turned over and there's a sense of betrayal. You've seen this stuff before. And when you're thinking Philip Noyce, you're thinking, this is the guy who directed Patriot Games and... He's an action director. He did Dead Calm, Bruce, which we, you and I both love. He's done a lot of... He did Salt. He's done a lot of great films. But it, this is, I think, one of his funnier, cheekier kind of films. And it's a really good performance by Pierce Brosnan. And Morena Baccarin, she plays a taxidermist in this film. And it's a very memorable role. So I would highly recommend this movie on digital, on demand, December 8th. If you are a Pierce Brosnan fan, Fast Charlie is a must-see Again. The Greg special is in effect throughout this entire episode. Four stars for me for Fast Charlie. Again, I told Bruce and Eric not to see it. They have had to do so many movies within the last week. But who knows? Maybe down the line when it comes out on streaming, maybe they'll do a rewind in future episodes. Now let's get to the final movie of the week. That is a documentary. Eric, you're just going to give a mini review of this, of A Father's Promise. What would you think? What, what, you know, what kind of people should see it? His interview with the director and writer Rick Korn will be available on our Cinematics podcast feed in a couple of days. But what is Father's Promise about, and do you recommend it?
2: Yeah, uh, I do. Um, It's uh, basically, I talked a bit about it at the intro of Flick City, but um, it's basically about Mark Barden. He's He's a musician, plays a bunch of music, and his son was murdered at Sandy Hook. And so he kind of falls out of uh, playing music, uh, eventually gets back on the horse and uses his music to kind of, uh, you know, uh, sort of get the word out there about, uh, you know, gun violence and that sort of thing. Um, This is kind of, I really like this documentary a lot, Uh, not just about what it says, uh, but Uh, specifically the music. The music's really great in this. Um, And I also like the idea. uh, Rick Horn did another movie about, um, oh, goodness, uh, Harry Chapin, When in Doubt, Do Something. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, the documentary. And we talked about this in the the interview, but uh, that documentary has a lot in common with this where – it's about Harry Chapin and his music, but it's also Harry Chapin has his own kind of, uh, political leanings. Um, he's really, uh, or he was really, cause he's, dead now but he was really you know he had his he- heart set on like ending world hunger so a lot of stuff he did was to raise money to combat world hunger uh likewise mark barden a lot of what he does is to raise money and awareness uh to hopefully end gun violence you know um a lot of people that watch this uh will you know be uh, pro gun, anti gun, you know, whatever the case is. And that, you know, as I mentioned uh in the Flix City opening, that uh that debate is not a great debate as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's a debate that needs to happen, but just the two sides are not talking in a way that they probably should. That said, you know, Mark Barton's very passionate about this and as he should be, because his son was uh, murdered as a result of that. It's got a, a lot of good interviews, a lot of good interactions, a lot, a lot of great music. Um, I would say I would put this movie right at a three-star banger because this is definitely one of those like, depending on where you land on the what side of the Gundam bait. Um, I think very few people land in the middle, which kind of is where I'm at, but a lot of people don't. So I think a lot of people dismiss this almost immediately, whereas other people will flock right towards it. But regardless, if you just want to watch a documentary music doc with great music, you can do that. But if you want to get a little more out of it, you can do that as well. But for, for the, uh, you know, uh, what the documentary is about, like the gun violence portion, I would have to put this at three star banger because, you know, it, it's it's polarizing just by that virtue alone.
1: Okay, so three stars, three star banger from Eric Holmes. Forefathers' Promise. It's in theaters, limited release, December eighth. It also features interviews with I love Susan Tadeshi. Yeah, with Susan Tadeshi, Derek Trucks. Karen Fairchild of Little Big Town, Daryl, DMC McDaniels, Bernie Williams, and
2: more. Yes, Eric, you want to say? And I'd also, I'd, I mentioned it, but uh, his uh, Rick Horns, other documentary, Harry Chapin, yeah, uh, When in Doubt, Do Something. I saw that on uh, Canopy, and mm-hmm. I think it's playing other places. We talked about uh, Sacrifice Game, Lord of Misrule, and Everyone Will Burn is a, a great triple feature. I think uh, Father's Promise and Harry Chapin, uh, when in doubt, do something, make a great double feature. So Bruce, I, did, if you like this, check that out. If you like that, check this out and vice versa.
1: Did we ever cover Harry Chapin, Bruce, Eric? Did we cover that documentary for Find Your Film, Movie Mainline, or Cinematics? Never?
0: Does I not don't know. sound familiar to me. No.
1: That, that is weird. I thought I interviewed him before. Maybe I did see. Yeah, but it's streaming on Canopy, that Harry Chapin documentary. And I'll leave that link so people can check that out as far as, far as that and Father's Promise. We're leaving uh coyotes are out to, to eat the dog in a second bruce final thoughts eric eric let's start with you final thoughts Uh, yeah we have a uh, poster up on the merch store check it out how, find your com. how long will that be up there uh until they take it down until they take it down <laughs> okay
2: is it so, a nice visual it, it's been like a week or two uh, they haven't taken it down yet so maybe it'll be up there for a while but uh yeah it, oh and and we got mm. another playthrough of the film vault uh top five game coming out soon Okay. Uh, I just recorded one with uh, my friend Aaron and Mitch Burns. Uh, we got fewer players this time, so we get through the whole game. And, and so I'm excited for people to see that. And we will do more. So if you want to play, let me know, and we'll set something up.
1: Okay. how they, can they? I'll just put your, your
2: email. For, for yeah. I'm at gmail.com or hit me up on Facebook, wherever. Okay. or just flag me down while I'm outside feeding my dog to the coyotes <laughs> wow. yes, when you're Bruce. done dealing with that uh, can not play your game I'll be like cool
0: it's got to so happen to me in 10 minutes I'm so I'm so scared right now <laughs> Bruce, final thoughts two quick things if you are like me and in your free time free time quote like right. maybe your, your significant, other, significant other likes to watch TV series two good ones are out right now Fargo season five is rolling. I did not watch the last two seasons, but this season so far is fantastic. Juno Temple, John Hamm, Jennifer mm. Jason Leigh, and a whole bunch of other people. And if you have never watched Slow Horses, that's on Apple TV. Uh, Slow Horses, starring Gary Oldman, is an awesome series. It's really good spy series where they are the they are like the. There's the MI6 or whatever it is. Is it MI5? MI6? I forget. On, yeah. Whatever MI5. that is. Yeah, MI5. The, the, I the, the fancy the fancy spies in, in right. England, right? Well, the, the, <laughs> the ones that don't quite cut it, they get thrown in this house called Slough slow House or whatever it is, Slough House. Those are the slow horses. And uh, the head of them is Gary Oldman's character. And he is like the most rumpled, anno- annoying, grizzled old spy dude and he has all of his ramshackle group that he sends off on missions and uh, they're all really fun each series and there's a brand new series of that right now or season right now
1: have you seen have you started the season yet
0: yeah season's good so far about three episodes in it's a lot of fun uh each season is a different story but some crossover and they're usually only five or six episodes long because they're british they don't have very many episodes in there series runs from season uh, is it to sort season. of like john lick what john le Carre, like tinker taylor soldier spy kind of no, thing it's no it's much more uh, there it's, it's grimier a little grimier uh it has a lot of action in it but also a ton of great character work i mean literally <laughs> the character john uh, the gary oldman character will like go into some posh dude's limousine to like tell him what's up and why are they getting involved in in this their their business or whatever and then he'll just he'll go, Oh, excuse me. And then he will just let, let a huge one rip and then oh, he'll gosh. say, Oh, it's too bad. you I got to leave <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty so great. funny. All right. That's just, just hamming it up. Uh, last, last thing I will just say, yeah, slow horses, Greg, if you know, people out there that listen to this probably are thinking like, what do I get Greg for Christmas? What do I get him? And I know Greg isn't far <laughs> behind me. I mean, he's not as old as me, but he's getting there. It's it's I'm getting like heard. me, you know, his fingers start getting tired and, you know, typing and writing. It's, it hurts, you know, and you want to make it easier to do your job. So I would say go find that four-star stamp, rubber stamp, and go ahead and send that off to Craig so he can just rate the movies a little easier.
1: <laughs> Very good. How thoughtful of both Bruce and Eric. You know, you, you do need to insult me more in, in future episodes. I do love this. I do love all the, the jabs and the barbs. They are well-deserved well this is well deserved we love we, i love both of you love you guys over at cinematics and of course i love claire the most There's claire.
0: goodbye everybody thank you for joining Cinematics.
2: all right um i'm here with uh william brent bell the director of lord of misrule um i don't know if you're familiar with the game blood on the clock tower but i got heavy vibes of that and uh i kind of really enjoyed this movie quite a bit the uh um uh, uh, what would what you call it like a period piece but it's not a period piece because it's yeah. set in uh the, like I, the whole time i'm watching it, i'm like oh this is a period piece and at one point someone's like check social media i'm like wait what okay cool <laughs> but uh where where did uh how did this movie come about
3: well you know it came about i love your background the um it's and not i might know that game if i looked i think i i know what you're talking about but
4: i i'm not like a student of that game um the movie came about James Tomlinson my producing partner on this movie sent me the script and um was just like you have to read this quickly you know it's really good and um and then I like within like five pages was like oh yeah this is great and th- this is like in just an incredible world that was kind of created you could tell really quickly and um and so uh if we just developed it with the writer from there Really,
2: yeah. Also, uh, another thing you do really well in this like early on, you have that what would you call it, like a festival or like a Halloween festival. Uh, later on, you got like people coming over, it seems like for like a dinner party, and then yeah. even kind of towards uh, the later half where you get kind of sort of that Legion vibe, uh, like just a bunch of people hanging out doing things. Like a, a, a lot of your movies are horror. You ever think of doing like a hangout movie, like a Days and Confused? Because I think you'd really nail that.
3: Oh, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I
4: like Daisy Confused is like one of my favorites, and um, big, you know, like the Coen Brothers or so many. And I wouldn't necessarily call those hangout movies that they do, but um, they do everything. Yeah, I mean, I love that vibe. I mean, I probably would not just do a straight hangout movie i would probably somehow either introduce horror or turn it into a horror film in some way shape or form you know just to kind of spice it up anyway um why not Daisy confused you know meets whatever but um but i love yeah i love that vibe i love working with like ensemble casts and and letting them kind of you know let their personalities come through their characters yeah i love that stuff
2: yeah, a, a lot of that is, uh, well, uh, with the days and Confused, they take some hot drugs and end up killing your, themselves, and <laughs> bam, there you, there you go. Exactly. I, I also noticed, like, uh, early on, uh, I think, like, half your movie, about half your movies you've written and directed, and half of them you've uh, went with other screenplays. What what goes with uh, that decision? Like, uh, w- w- when do you decide, like, oh, I'm going to write something, or when do you decide you take another script and, oh, I want to do that one. And what, and what's the difference in directing each one? Like, do you take on a certain amount of responsibility on scripts that you haven't written or ones you have and so on and so forth?
3: The, um, you know, the difference is sort of like early in my earlier movies, you know, we were, I was writing them with Matt Peterman and we were creating them from scratch. And that's what got me into directing the movies, you know?
4: And so at that point, nobody was giving me scripts anyway. And then when people it's it's hard to find good horror scripts because I feel like if it's really good, there should be a way that the writer should make it. Because that's kind of like one thing about the genres it gives people a, a chance to make films. So um, so it's rare that one comes across that's great. And The Boy was the first movie I ever made that, you know, I didn't write. Um, but once you get into the process, it becomes, you know it just as protective and I'm just as responsible for everything. I think there are probably other directors
3: that come in and just kind of show up and and don't change the script much, but I'm depending on what it is really involved. I I usually I'll do a rewrite of the script and sometimes I don't take credit for that or whatever, but, um, and sometimes I'll just work really closely with the writer because at the end of the day, I want it to become kind of as much my movie as possible, you know? Um,
4: so it's, so, because the story is kind of coming through me. Um, but it depends and 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 it's just about time sometimes i mean i love creating things from scratch and i love reading something great that hooks me like this did
2: yeah what what are some stuff like when you're looking at a script what are uh some things that you look at where you're like oh i gotta do this one like well this one was pretty easy like
4: immediately in lord and miss rule like we introduce grace the daughter and she's dressed up for the festival And she, you know, pulls a lock of her hair out, strangely. And then she grabs the scissors and goes outside and picks up her pet bunny and brings the scissors up to its throat. And the script was, you know, the same. And then we're intercutting kind of, you know, um, the church. And and then we're starting to see the festival. So immediately I was like, wow, this is really painting a world that I want to get to know more about that's pretty unique to me. And and it's pretty pretty twisted that like the first thing that's happening is this girl almost doing something to this bunny rabbit, and I was like, that's pretty, that's a good sign that the script's going to be great because he's already doing really interesting things. And um and then when that as that festival unfolds and I became more familiar with the mythology, um, it's like it's a it's a highly unique mythology, but it's also kind of steeped in history. So it felt complex and unique to me, but it also felt like kind of easy to understand. And I thought that was just great writing. Um, and, it, you know, for me, it just was very clear, very quickly. Um, I felt like I knew how I wanted to make the movie, which is always kind of the ma- main thing. You know, if I feel like, oh yeah, I, I'm speaking this guy's language as well. Like we wrote it together almost um, is what it felt like.
2: Yeah. I love cryptids. The, the, I guess, demon uh, in this one. Uh, kind of had a lot of uh Wendigo vibes of that but uh what like what what is the mythology of of this theme? like not within the the movie but just in real life i guess
3: there is nothing in real life i mean lord of misrule is a is a pretty um it's it's
4: a it's been around forever i think um roman times and lord of misrule was you know a guy who was kind of the town idiot who would get to be king for a week and just have a great party for the Feast of Fools. And then he would be executed. And then that, that kind of uh festival that legend carried on through different um, countries for hundreds of years. And we did a change on it to where now the Lord of Misrule is kind of the um, hero of the town who, who, you know, who chases the demon out and the demon is Galagog, And that's something that, um tom created i mean i thought when i first read about it i thought it was pulled from something else some other legend but it's not it's even a hard word to, to find even and um but generally like the story of kind of a spirit god that lives in the forest takes your children things like that there are themes we've played around with before with stories certainly scary stories um and this one you know was was pretty unique um and there's so much more to the mythology uh in this one but that's the the, the basics i think
2: yeah and you've, you've also assembled a hell of a cast uh tuppence middleton middleton is great in this and ralph innocent i mean he's great in everything uh yeah yeah so to, so like how, how how like you're reading the script uh you're gonna direct it you start putting the cast together like how, how does that process go
3: it's um, you know, it's different. Like, a, a casting a movie, part of it's auditions, part of it's just meeting with certain actors I'm a fan of, perhaps. And then sometimes it's it's um, like a left turn. And so, you know, with Tuppence, she was somebody I was a fan of. She was, like, at the top of my list of UK actresses when we were in the UK that I wanted to meet. Um, And then she responded to the script and we had a great meeting. And then, you know, we had another meeting about notes and changing the script. And so she became, you
4: know, Rebecca pretty quickly. Um, And then Ralph was somebody I knew I wanted to be in the movie and I've worked with him before and we're good friends. And I think, like you said, like he's great in everything he's in. And um, he just, you know, brings something kind of unique to his character no matter what. And in this case, the script we were, um, even the script that, that um, Tuppet signed on to, you know, Jocelyn was a woman. It was a, like a 70 year old woman.
3: And, um, and I went to go meet with him about playing a smaller part in the movie, which seemed kind of like a waste. And, um, and then we, as we got to talking, basically it was, uh, you know, I asked him if he would be interested in playing Jocelyn and who of course was a woman in the script. And he thought that was really cool. And then we decided for him to like so for the first thing I did before I fully made it official was I called Tuppence. And I was like, listen, are you cool if
4: Ralph Einstein plays um, Jocelyn and we make it a man? And she's like, if he wants to do that, that's fucking amazing. Like, then do it. And I was like, great. And um, and then, yeah, the first thing we did, we were going to change her name from Jocelyn. And then we both decided, you know, let's just let's keep her the way she is and not change a thing about her pretty much.
2: Yeah,
3: and also that was a pretty different kind of way to cast somebody in a role.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I would say so. But uh, like you did uh, Orphan First Kill right before this Separation before that Brahms Boy Two, like you're just one after another. Uh, I'm assuming you got two or three movies all ready to go after this one, or what? What do you got coming up next?
3: Yeah, yeah, we have two movies. um, We're going to shoot in 2024. Um, Both both of them going to be shot in the UK with the same crew um some of the same cast i hope and um and they're both one's more science fiction and horror and one is um pretty 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 much horror i guess you'd say horror like (laughs) thriller drama it's like dazed Um, and confused but horror yeah and that's (laughs) the third one now i'll call you about that later (laughs) but um yeah, you know, it's it's like we're developing another movie in the boy franchise, and it it lends itself more to what you're describing, I would say, about <laughs> The Tasty Feast. <of> <laughs> but I don't
2: know. That's It's too early, really, to say. Sweet. Well, um, one of the questions we ask everyone is we have a What's in the Box segment. And in this box, we have people put movies that are like uh really personal to them, or maybe they're just an underseen movie, like this movie's really good and no one ever talks about it. What's a movie you would like to put in the box?
4: Well, a movie I would put in the box would be The Other. Um, it's not the Others, which is a cool movie with Nicole Kidman. It's a movie from like
3: 1972, I think, in 1974. Um, it's called The Other, and it's about two twin brothers growing up in this like remote kind of farm area and um, one's good and one's bad and one starts kind of you know you know people start winding up dead in different ways um and then it's uh like the the, the name holland the poster is like what's in the um where's the baby holland very much like what's in the box and uh <laughs> there you go
2: <laughs> and it's a, where's <laughs> we'll, the baby we'll, holland, change we'll change the segment to what's in the baby <laughs> start pulling yeah, movies like what, what's in the box either.
3: holland um <laughs> which is the last name of this family in this movie um the hollands but um it's a great movie it's a weird it was based on a, a novel in the same era that like the exorcist and the omen came out originally Sweet. and um it's just a weird creepy
2: movie with a huge twist that's just so many things about it are great well, weird and creepy. are speaking to my heart. I love weird and creepy. <laughs> but uh, William, thanks for joining me. And yes. uh, Lord of Misrule will be available in theaters. Thumbs up for that. And on demand December 8th. And uh, yeah, c- congratulations. And I uh, hope a lot of people see this one. I think they'll be rightfully creeped out by it.
3: <laughs> All right. Thanks, man.